welcome back. Let's Get Physical Therapy is an educational podcast brought to you by MedStar Health and hosted by me, physical therapist Becca Schumer. I will be sharing the mic with tons of healthcare professionals with the goal of educating and inspiring fellow PTs and future PTs. We hope you find this both informative and inspirational, ultimately optimizing how we treat our patients and grow as professionals. Please enjoy today's episode. For those that don't know yet, March is National Athletic Training Month. And as an athlete and as a professional, I have worked with athletic trainers for probably over 20 years. I spent many an hour in the athletic training room when I was a dual sport athlete in college. I am grateful for all that they do, and I don't think that everyone realizes all that they do. They work in several different areas, and today we're going to learn more about that. So I'm going to introduce you to Jeremy Doctor. He's an athletic trainer. He joined with MedStar Sports Medicine in 2021. He's the head athletic trainer for the Old Glory Rugby team in D.C. and also serves as a physician extender. He obtained his bachelor's degree in athletic training at University of Nebraska-Lincoln and his graduate degree in exercise science from Syracuse University. Prior to joining MedStar, Jeremy spent time as an assistant athletic trainer with the University of Louisville football team and assistant athletic trainer with the New England Patriots. Jeremy has numerous additional certifications, which include corrective exercise specialist, FMS level one, BFR, and instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization. Jeremy's interests include post-surgical rehab, return to play progression, sports performance, and injury prevention through corrective exercise. In Jeremy's free time, he enjoys hiking, boating, and hanging out with his family. I am thankful to Jeremy for spending some time with us, so let's talk. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. I'm excited to bring everyone this bonus episode because it's March, which is National Athletic Training Month. So I wanted to kick it off with giving some interesting stats about athletic trainers. I tried to find some dirt. I couldn't find anything super interesting. But (laughs) there are 58,000 athletic trainers in the U.S., and there's 325 accredited collegiate academic programs for athletic training. Um, I know, given the recent NFL incident with Tamar Hamlin, athletic training has really been in the spotlight lately and bringing a lot of attention to athletic trainers, which really should have happened a while ago because you guys do so much. But I just want to hear your story. How did you get into athletic training? And then we're going to dive into athletic training and learn more about it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is a, on the DeMar Hamlin. It's you know, uh, unfortunate that for our profession, it's always the negative stuff out there that we get the most attention. But, you know, I guess ultimately whatever brings more attention in the profession is good. So thankfully that situation went well and we were able to showcase it. And um, yeah, it speaks to to what we can do. But yeah, as far as my story, um, I got into athletic training because I was never an athlete, uh, wasn't ever good at sports, uh, but I always enjoyed them. And I always knew I wanted to go down the route of working with people uh, and helping them get better at whatever they want to do. So I weighed PT versus AT. I had a uh, family member that went through a undergrad student athletic training program, but it wasn't like an accredited program. And they went into PT. But I really enjoyed her sharing experiences about athletic training. So that was kind of what I explored more. And I started looking at different schools. It just so happened I'm originally from South Dakota uh, and there was an accredited program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I looked into that, went and visited and 
fell in love and went there and did that. Um, my goal at that time was to work with Division One athletics or work in the NFL or something along those lines. And I thought that would be the best route for me. And it was a great experience. Uh, I learned a lot, got to work with a lot of high-level athletes and kind of took me to my next avenue, which was I did my grad school at the Syracuse University um, and was a graduate assistant while I majored in uh, exercise science. Got a lot more experience working firsthand and being like the person over a couple teams. I uh, worked with men's soccer and women's tennis and just got a lot of great experience with that. And, you know, from there, I just kind of kept going. So I've worked in the professional level uh, and currently working with a professional sport uh, in the Major League Rugby. Uh, and I've worked Division One athletics and I've worked secondary schools. So I kind of have and I've worked in the clinic. So I have a kind of experience all over the place, which has been really awesome. And I, uh, I think is helps me be able to explain the profession and see all different sides of it. Your experience is pretty incredible. It's like PT. Everyone thinks that you, I don't know, there's like one direction to go, but there's so many potential places that you can work as an athletic trainer now. I know when I was in high school and college, I feel like mostly the athletic trainers were on the sideline, but mm-hmm. it's really expanded into occupational health, uh, police and fire department, emergency rooms, like where else are athletic trainers existing these days and, and working yeah. hard? Yeah, the the biggest avenue that I think the profession's kind of gone down is, like you said, occupational health um, and occupational safety. Um, so there's a lot of industrial site jobs. Um, Amazon is a huge uh, uh, employer now of athletic trainers, um, as well as, you know, you mentioned police and fire safety. That's become pretty prominent to have an athletic trainer that works with the police and fire uh, that help them, you know, either expedite their ability to see a physician and help them kind of figure out where they need to go or doing different sort of occupational stuff to try to prevent injuries as much as possible. On top of that, I think the biggest avenue that I've seen even since I've joined and has become increasingly popular is working in the physician practice Um, as a sort of a medical assistant that maybe has a little bit more orthopedic knowledge. And so seeing them working with primary care sports medicine or our orthopedic physicians. And I think that's been a huge area of increase in the in the profession. yeah, I think those are probably the two biggest ones that I've seen people go down. And military, too, has become a pretty big uh, big avenue for athletic trainers to go down. It's pretty amazing. I know athletic, you hear athletic training, so you assume like it's all athletes, but it's, it's really not anymore, which is really yeah. cool to see your profession has grown so much in a pretty, pretty short period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely been exploding like over since even since I graduated, which was only... 10 years ago now. So uh, it's been really cool. And it's for me still being what I would consider a young professional, even though I'm 10 years out of school, it's been cool to have different avenues to explore as I've gotten out of, you know, working uh, in division one athletics and working now with the hospital system and seeing all the different things I can do. Maybe you can speak to this a little bit. I I know, again, when I was in college, our athletic trainers worked crazy hours. They were there before practice, after practice. Like, yeah, I mean, it was just insane the amount of hours that you put in. And I wonder if working in, as in these other roles and positions are that some of the hours potentially a little more stable. 
Yeah, and that's definitely, yeah, exactly. There's been more uh, stability. Since, since I've moved to the medic or working with a hospital system, I've definitely had more stability in my hours. Um, and I think it's probably, you see that a lot uh, from people that burn out of maybe working in secondary or division one athletics or division two, division three, whatever level of collegiate athletics or professional. And yeah, you can get a little bit better work-life balance um, working either in the industrial setting or in the clinic. And I think that's definitely helped a lot of people, you know, that lose interest in working with athletes themselves or working the grind of, you know, working with sports. When you went to school, I don't know if you can speak to this because it's been 10 years, which is not a lot of time. You're still young, but <laughs> long enough though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, given all these different areas that an athletic trainer can now work in, is the schooling, has the schooling adapted at all to cover these various areas? Definitely. Yeah. There, there's a lot more emphasis than when, even when I, from when I went to school, there's a lot more em emphasis on general medical, uh, you know, illnesses and that sort of, uh, thing. And then being a puncture or doing sutures, um, being able to draw you know, blood samples, anything along those lines has been added to the curriculum. And I think that's been a huge avenue or, you know, helped open up that avenue uh, to working in the physician practice. Um, and along with that, there's been a lot of residencies that have popped up working with orthopedists and working in the OR, helping close or, you know, during surgery or what have you. Um, but just being there is another set of hands in the OR. And that's, you know, that didn't exist when I first came out of school. And now that's kind of exploding. There's um, a residency in Vail, Colorado. That's pretty, pretty huge with it. And then there's another one down in Gulfport, uh, Alabama. Yes, Alabama with the uh, Andrews Institute. And so those two places have kind of really helped foster that. But it's getting more and more popular and you're seeing more and more places want those types of uh, people. And when did athletic training convert to masters? That was probably about five years ago, four or five okay. years ago, I think is when they kind of solidified that. Because mm -hmm. um, when I was in grad school, it was sort of like on the one of those things you were starting to hear about and the entry level master's programs had started to pop up mm -hmm. or becoming a thing. And now, obviously, we uh, NATA has completely shifted, or in Katie, I should say, has shifted their um, education standards to that model. Mm -hmm. If you're working at a high school compared to working as an athletic trainer for a professional team, obviously your support that you're going to have around you is completely different. How as an athletic trainer do you work in those different extremes? Yeah, uh, me personally, I've always tried to, so from being at the uh professional level, I've tried to treat even my secondary high school athletes the same as I would a professional athlete. Obviously, they're not to the same standard. We're probably not going to be able to get things done to the same, you know, we're not going to get an MRI that afternoon. But knowing the the constraints that you're working within and it's still trying to push the boundaries of trying to take as good of care of the athlete as possible, I think is how you can balance that. Sometimes maybe it's a little bit of me beating my head against a wall and, you know, wishing that we could get things done quicker. But I think working within the then also understanding the clinical side 
and how things work can help you navigate that a little bit better. So for secondary high school or secondary athletic trainers out there, I would definitely recommend seeing more of that clinical side so you can help navigate that better for your athletes. And I think that's what helped me the most of trying to like bridge the extremes of like going from professional, we're getting this taken care of the next day, who cares about insurance to the other side and trying to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah, I'm thinking about to the emergency action planning, going from having a full team supporting you and you're part of that team to create that in the professional side and then in a secondary high school where you don't have any, it's all on you to kind of yeah. create that with your athletic director, hopefully, but yeah, I imagine that no, yeah, challenging. it's definitely a bit of a challenge um, and you got to be a little bit more creative and like how you write out your action plans. Um, it becomes, yeah, a lot more of management as opposed to taking care of things immediately. So like, you know, you look at a DeMar Hamlin case, uh, there was how many ex, or how many athletic trainers are right there? Probably six about on each staff when you all count them out. Not to mention the EMS, full, two full EMS crews that they probably had, airway physicians, all of that. Um, but you can still, there's a lot of stuff that just as us as an athletic trainer singularly that we can do to at least manage the situation and still put that athlete or whoever that's in a desperate situation and put them into the best level that they of care so that they have the best chance of making it out. Yeah, please correct me if I'm wrong, but since uh, Damar Hamlin, that there's been a push towards getting more ATC coverage in these more rural places. Is that right? Definitely. And it's been a push for a long time. Um, like I went to school in Nebraska, and so that was obviously the push there was to get, we need high athletic trainers in every high school. And it's been a push in a lot of parts of the country for a while. It's just, again, these big events that happen and then everyone sees like, oh, shoot, we really do need these. And it helps push it even further. Um, but, yeah, it's become even bigger since that since that case has happened. Even uh, going back to when you're talking about how much people are on staff compared to one, like I've had spine boarding situations in both scenarios, and yeah. it definitely becomes a lot more of especially on my end, I was the second assistant on a staff of six. You know, I knew I had my one role of what I was supposed to do in a spine boarding situation. And we practiced that. So we had it down pat. And, you know, we practiced it, obviously, going down the line of if you had to move up into the next role and into the next role, what we would do. But then suddenly, yeah, at the high school, I'm the only one. So it's learning a lot about how to use your voice and being an effective communicator and figuring out knowing what everyone around you is capable of doing you know there's a lot of people that are capable of lifting a body or cutting a jersey or taking a face mask off and kind of identifying those beforehand with your coaching staff or at least being able to effectively communicate and coach them through it and you can get a lot of the same things done at least, you know, while you're waiting for EMS to come be your your full team. But yeah, it's a lot about learning how to use your voice and be an effective communicator for sure. In those situations where it's you and the coach, are the coaches being trained? Do you have sessions where you're having these conversations beforehand? Yeah, we've tried to institute, at least through MedStar, of working with our coaches to try to uh, 
coach them up on what to do in these emergency situations. But even when I found myself like this past is an example, this past summer, I was working in a football scrimmage and I had coaches that I had never met before that I was working with as I was trying to spine, you know, handle a C spine situation with a youth athlete. Um, again, I didn't know what they could and couldn't do, but every a coach at this point should know how to do take a face mask off if they don't know how to coach them through it and practice that with your own coaches or, you know, with your friends. There's a lot of stuff that you can coach people through. You just have to know how to effectively communicate it. I think mm -hmm. that comes back on the athletic trainer themselves of knowing how to what they need to say um, and coaching themselves or like practicing it just that, as they would any of their other skills. When did you feel like you found your voice? I feel like that probably takes, well, it depends on this, like the, the situation you're in or the teams that you're working with or the environment that you're working in, but I feel like that might take a little practice. For sure. And sometimes it's also being thrown into it a little bit. And unfortunately, like I, I'll say my first time where I felt like, oh, wow, I, I can do this is um, when I was my last um, position was at um, the Uni University of Louisville. Um, and we had a spine board situation on the field. It didn't appear that way when we went out on the field. Normally, I wasn't at the head. I was at the left shoulder. For whatever reason, you know, our head athletic trainer went to go talk to him on his right shoulder. And our first assistant was on his left shoulder. And I just happened to be there at his head. And then it became a spine board situation. So then when it was a C-spine situation, we're not going to all switch around. I'm at the head. So then I'm calling the shots. Because of that, then, I, you know, you just have to run with it. There is no other choice. You've practiced it. You got to use your voice at that point. I think there is a little bit of you can practice it, you know, as much as you want. But until you're thrown in the situation, you don't know how you're going to react. So you have to have confidence in yourself that you're going to be able to hand it when you get up, when you when you're called up to the big leagues and you're suddenly at the head and making the calls. Just either you're going to be able to or you're not to a certain extent. But if you have the training and you've practiced it, you should have all the confidence in the world that you should be able to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm just imagining standing on the sideline, trying to keep your survey, everything that's going on, and then boom, something happens. You got to go. You got to be ready. Yeah, you have to have eyes in the back of your head. And I've learned that from just a lot of mentors of like how they see, because I've definitely, we were, we're having full on conversations and he's like, did you see that over there? He's limping right now. Like, no, I like, how would I, I was looking at you, but you, you just have to learn. Yeah. You're always watching. You can talk. You got to be able to do two things at once. But I think that, you know, all that comes with time. You know, there's going to be a lot of kids that come out of athletic training, their education program. And yeah, it's going to take them a little bit, but you learn pretty quickly on the fly that you can, you can get it done. Transitioning into working with physical therapists. I know you work with Gabe, who's a PT and an athletic trainer as well, has that dual role. When you're working in the athletic training room, how do you work with athletes together? Yeah, so as far as how I operate with, and I've worked with PTs at pretty much every level I've worked at. In the NFL, uh, in Division I athletics, I'm sure they have them in all all levels of athletics at this point. Um, and all of, all of the ones I've worked with have been dual credentialed, so they're ATs and PTs. But I think it's... A, again about it, it all comes down to communication um being able to uh know what each of you where your strengths and weaknesses lie 
Um, for example, with Gabe and I, Gabe is pretty raw because he's young, but he knows a lot of stuff. So he knows a lot of, more about you know techniques that I don't know that I never learned. So I handle, I let him handle what I know he can handle, which is quite a lot. But at the same time, I'm there to help him back him up and support him and teach him what he doesn't know. So uh, it's all about, like I said, knowing what each of you, what your your strengths are and being able to play off of each other and work effectively on what's best for the athlete. That communication piece is so important. I know we've had athletic trainers help us in our own PT clinic and I've learned a ton from athletic trainers and I hope mm-hmm. that I've taught athletic trainers some of what I know and I feel like there was some territorial things going on between PTs and ATCs at some point, and mm-hmm. I haven't really noticed that as much lately. I hope that's kind of died down, and I hope there's a mutual respect for each profession. For sure. Yeah, and it's weird, too, because like I've now worked all over the country, and it's weird to see state by state how that changes. Um, you know, where, where I went to school at Nebraska, almost all of the PTs in the state not not all, but a lot of them had come through either our athletic training program or the one at University of Nebraska Omaha or the one at Kearney. You know, all the Nebraska schools had an athletic training program and then they went to PT school and then they still worked in the state. So they all kind of we all had an understanding of what each other could do and it, the relationship gelled really well. And I think that's what it is, is just understanding what our professions are and being able to work together is only going to benefit, you know, what we can do for my current case athletes, but in the broader scheme of our patients. Definitely. And, you know, in physical therapy, sometimes we have a set number of visits that we can see someone and that communication with athletic trainers at the schools, colleges, pro, whatever it be, that communication Mm -hmm. is imperative to have that continuity of care. Yeah, for sure. And, athletic trainers have the benefit, especially at the secondary level. I've noticed, I noticed while I was there is, you know, a PT can tell a student athlete what they should do, especially for like when they're progressing to the return to run or the return to contact or the return to play model, but they don't, they're not able to have the eyes on them that we can because we're there visibly seeing them. And so having that communication about what they look like and being able to help each other and what's best to get this athlete back to return is by far the most effective way to like treat that athlete. That's a really good point. We think about how doctors have a couple of minutes with a patient. I mean, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, but minimal time. Then we think therapy, we've gotten for maybe a couple hours a week. But athletic mm-hmm. trainers, you have even more time potentially with an athlete, depending on the team that you're working with or what setting yeah. you're working in. So even more time to build that relationship with the athlete and get to know them and, and really see what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there a lot of what I've done, at least on the rehabilitation side, is just being able to, you know, know the athlete and what they can and can't do and when I can and can't push them um, and being able to just understand them as a person. And that helps me understand, like, what we can get out of each session that we work together um, just by how they come in that day and being able to handle that I think has made me a lot better clinician um and I think that's yeah if there's one takeaway that people could have on like how to be a better clinician is just understanding their their clientele or their people and like form a relationship with them and 
you can know what you can and can't do with them. And something else I'm thinking about is, you know, as PTs, we communicate with the doctors with how their patients are doing, but you have potentially even a closer connection with doctors Mm -hmm. in whatever setting you're working under. Yeah, I've been fortunate to be able to be around physicians, you know, a lot, uh, just even when at my other roles, even before I was working in the physician practice. But yeah, I think that is one benefit of the profession is we get to explore those spaces a lot easier, you know, because I've taken a a ton of athletes to appointments and listened to what the doctor said and then had to explain to the athlete what the doctor meant afterwards because, you know, they don't speak the same language all the time. So and that has helped me, you know, definitely form a a good relationship with physicians and what they mean and what they want to do with the athlete or patient, what have you. Um, Yeah, that's definitely uh, been huge for me personally of being mm-hmm. able to to work with those physicians and form those relationships yeah and i've been in like like i did a dry needling class this past year and work you know with a bunch of pts and they were asking all these things about like well why do orthos do this it's like oh wait i know that one i work with orthos every day i can explain that so yeah no it's definitely something that we can take advantage of and help you know help be the bridge between the two professions as well, between orthopedic surgeons and PTs or or sports medicine docs and PTs. As PTs, we can do a much better job than what we do currently in communicating with docs and athletic (laughs) trainers, all of it. We can can always improve upon our communication. For sure. Communication is really the key to all of it. It really is. It It sounds so cheesy, but... It is. Sounds super cliche, but it's fundamentally the way that you get things done optimally. Yeah. Tying things up here, is there anything else you want to share about athletic training in your field that hopefully we get some athletic training students and athletic trainers listening? Yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway that I've had from someone that always really stuck with me was um, take the profession seriously, but don't ever take yourself too seriously. And I think that's really key to not getting burnt out or getting too worked up about any one situation or you know, what you're going through in the broader sense. Because um, I've noticed some people, they, they take themselves so seriously and they're not able to handle, you know, any sort of negative criticism or things go wrong. Like not everybody's going to like you all the time. You know, our athletes aren't always going to be happy with you. And being able to handle that and not be so, take it so personally is going to be able to make you able to help them better because if you're going to be take everything what they say personally i've had a lot of athletes curse me out i've had patients curse me out if you take it too personally that stuff's really going to build at you and it's going to tear you down and not going to be able to then you're not going to be able to treat anyone if you're burnt out or you're torn down or you're feeling low about yourself so if you kind of let those things not take everything so seriously and let those things run off you you're going to feel you know a lot better about yourself but at the same time take what you do seriously you know what we do is a serious profession at any point we could be helping save someone's life. So be professional about all that. Be serious about that. But don't take, you know, don't be so serious or about yourself. Yeah, that's great advice. And I'm just as you're speaking, I'm thinking about how I am envious of athletic trainers ability to just go with the flow. I tend to be somewhat rigid. So 
having to change your schedule last minute or having to be somewhere traveling a lot. I know that's a, a big part of certain areas for athletic trainers too. So for sure. I, I just appreciate that in, in your <laughs> profession. It seems to be yeah. like, and not to generalize, but it seems like athletic trainers are pretty go with the flow kind of people. Yeah, you kind of have to be. The third time coach changed practice sites for the day, you kind of just have to let it go. If you get too worked up about it, you're going to be just you're not going to have a good time. So, yeah, for sure. Not to say that I haven't got worked up about it, but there's only so much you can do. <laughs> definitely, definitely true. We like to end each episode with a favorite quote of yours, something that moves you, drives you. It doesn't have to be athletic training related, but what would be your favorite quote? Yeah, I have it actually posted on my bio and it's I've used it in professional portfolios and it's um uh Destiny is not, yeah, I had to think of it for a second. Destiny is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. At Nebraska, where we, our main athletic training room was, was in the stadium. And that quote was over the door that I walked through every single day to get to the athletic training room. From the year that I was a freshman to when I graduated as a senior, I walked through that same doors every day. That quote's always over it. And it just means a lot to me of what we, what we, our lot in life isn't, what uh it's not just you know it doesn't happen on a whim it's not like the forrest gump quote about like we're not just all blowing floating the breeze waiting for some the wind to push us somewhere you have a lot of you know options of what you can do to make your lot in life better um and i think professionally that just means a lot that uh i could be mad about losing out on opportunities you know because uh, or i can say that was unlucky or i can try to change what I need to change to better myself, to try to put myself in the best position to get those opportunities or to do those things that I want to do. And that's really what that quote means to me. I'm motivated. You just motivated me <laughs> <laughs> to go do, I don't know what, but I'm motivated. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Um, where can people find you? So uh, you can find me on um, the MedStar Health website. Uh, I am a MedStar Health employee. Uh, my bio is on there. My email is on there. Uh, I don't think my cell phone is on there. I probably won't hand that one out. No. Um, then, uh, I do have a athletic training centered, uh, Instagram account. It's just my name, Jeremy Dr. ATC on Instagram. And I try to post some cool stuff that I see some cool teams that I work with. Yeah. You can follow me along there. Love it. Uh, I also want to, if there are any athletic trainers, athletic training students looking for a job, I kind of wanted to direct you to our website, which is careers.medstarhealth.org. Um, you can search open positions on the MedStar Health Careers page. You can also go to www.medstarhealth.org backslash services backslash sports dash medicine. If you scroll down, you can find the athletic training page. And yeah, that's, I think that's all the things. Awesome. Well, I Sweet. appreciate you having me on today. Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Physical Therapy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at PT. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can reach more listeners just like you. As always, we appreciate your time and hope you join us for our next episode.